the Bible, the book that has changed the world by changing lives around the world. Men and women, young and old, the Bible has changed my life. The love, stability, and hope that I need, they're all found in the Bible. The Bible gives me hope that a new day is coming. The Bible is helping me see what really matters. The Bible Live is a -a one-of-a-kind, first-time-in-history radio program. Offering you the chance to hear a 15 to 20 minute Bible reading each weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Hear the scriptures, then call in with your comments and questions. This is the best show in the world. Well, actually, I was speaking against everything you were talking about before, and uh, now I, I stand humbly corrected. I'm a pastor, and our people really need to know the word more. The Bible also transformed the life of your Bible Live host. A full-blooded Apache Indian, born out of wedlock and abandoned at birth. Soapy Dollar was found in a big city alley by a kind-hearted fortune teller, then passed around to 16 families before he was six years old. Placed in a home for homeless and delinquent boys, Soapy Dollar heard the Bible's life-changing message at the age of eight, and the course of his life was changed. He's an American Indian guitar playing all around rodeo cowboy. I keep my thumb between the pages and my heart in the book. With more degrees than a thermometer and over 40 years of introducing folks just like you to the God of the Bible. Here is Soapy Dollar. Here is. I wish I had pipes like that. Thank you very much, Kevin Bell. Always nice. nice introduction. You know what a pancake feels like with all that syrup poured over you. Thank you folks for joining us tonight for the Bible Live broadcast. Just running in from our little church group tonight. We had our midweek service and supper and sharing together. We've got some wonderful little cooks in our group. I brought the uh, board operator a couple pieces of homemade pie from our uh, supper. So I feel like I've I've done my good deed for the day and everything, right? (laughs) I hope you too have a church congregation, a fellowship of people with whom you are able to share life, joys, the hardships, the difficulties, the struggles, the challenges of life as well. As they say in Christian fellowship, the difficulties are divided and the joys are multiplied. Anyway, we're in now and ready to sit down with you and relax. You've had a long day, tough day, lots of challenges, lots of decisions made, lots of people met, problems you've dealt with, and Maybe some of them you still got on you, the, you're carrying the burden of some decision, some difficulty that you're facing or a loved one is facing. Relax now. Just settle, and let's just come before the Lord and come before His Word. And let Him speak to our hearts. Just listen to the Scriptures. Let them roll over you and let them have their effect. And they will. Often they bring peace and comfort, encouragement. Sometimes they challenge. Sometimes they bring an answer, a practical answer that you've been looking for. Let's open our hearts to him and trust him to speak to us. It's not just automatic as we listen to the scriptures. We're doing a good thing. We're listening to the Bible. But it's just not automatic then that we hear from God. That's a function of our faith and of our expectation. So let's come before the Lord with the expectation that he is going to speak to us. He's going to comfort us. He's going to encourage us. He's going to tell us what we need to hear this evening from his word. We are in the book of Genesis. And we have read up into chapter 9, the creation of man, the fall of man, the expansion of the human race, Cain killing Abel, 
so many things happening. And remember, as we said the other day, as we read this book of Genesis, so many of the things that we read about, they're the first time they've ever happened. The first man, the first woman, the first marriage, the first brothers, the first murder, the first one to build cities and that sort of thing. So tonight we're going to continue through the book of Genesis. Right now, though, let's go to our wisdom and worship segment as we work our way through the Psalms. This is another Psalm of David regarding the time when David had to flee from his son Absalom who was trying to kill him. The Bible Live. Psalm 3. O Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue him. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts my head high. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid of ten thousand enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord! Rescue me, my God! Slap all my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O Lord. May your blessings rest on your people. End of reading Psalm 3. And remember, in this world, as believers, we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers. The enemies that we pray against, as David did in this psalm, are the world, the flesh, our own evil desires and fleshly desires, and the devil himself. Those are our enemies, and God will give us victory there as well. Even in the book of Genesis now, we're seeing very quickly, very early in the uh, narrative here, we need to be reconciled to our Creator who created us, in fact, to have a relationship with him and to enjoy him forever. Mankind has drifted from that relationship. Now it comes down to individuals. It's not a matter of the whole race. In Adam and Eve, the entire race fell under the condemnation of death. The soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. Death is a relational term. It's not a term that means ceasing to exist. Death is a relational term. It means that we have become separated from, relationally distant, cut off from God, who is our life. We fell into the condemnation of sin and death, and now God has already promised and already provided. Remember, the the Messiah is the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. Even in this early stage, men and women who love God and come to him, they are reconciled to God through Messiah, through Jesus, who would only come maybe a couple of thousand years later. But still, he is the only definitive solution that God has given to the problem of sin. Now we see, as we begin to work through the book of Genesis, God presents himself to men and women, and there are ritualistic symbols of that sacrifice. The clarity is that God's grace is needed. A payment is required of sin. We'll see that principle as we move through the scriptures. Noah and his family have just landed. God gives them his command after they have landed after the great flood. The Bible life. Genesis 9, 8 through 12, 20. Genesis 9. Then God told Noah and his sons, I am making a covenant with you and your descendants and with the animals you brought with you, all these birds and livestock and wild animals. I solemnly promise never to send another flood to kill all living creatures and destroy the earth. And God said, I am giving you a sign as evidence of my eternal covenant with you and all living creatures. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my permanent promise to you and to all the earth. 
When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will be seen in the clouds. And I will remember my covenant with you and with everything that lives. Never again will there be a flood that will destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, Yes, this is the sign of my covenant with all the creatures of the earth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the three sons of Noah, survived the flood with their father. Ham is the ancestor of the Canaanites. From these three sons of Noah came all the people now scattered across the earth. After the flood, Noah became a farmer and planted a vineyard. One day he became drunk on some wine he had made and lay naked in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, walked backward into the tent, and covered their father's naked body. As they did this, they looked the other way so they wouldn't see him naked. When Noah woke up from his drunken stupor, he learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done. Then he cursed the descendants of Canaan, the son of Ham. A curse on the Canaanites! May they be the lowest of servants to the descendants of Shem and Japheth. Then Noah said, May Shem be blessed by the Lord my God, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge the territory of Japheth, and may he share the prosperity of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Noah lived another 350 years after the flood. He was 950 years old when he died. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 10. This is the history of the families of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the three sons of Noah. Many children were born to them after the flood. The descendants of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The descendants of Gomer were Ashkenash, Rephoth, and Togarmah. The descendants of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Rodanim. Their descendants became the seafaring peoples in various lands, each tribe with its own language. The descendants of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The descendants of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, and Sabteca. The descendants of Ramah were Sheba and Dedan. One of Cush's descendants was Nimrod, who became a heroic warrior. He was a mighty hunter in the Lord's sight. His name became proverbial, and people would speak of someone as being like Nimrod, a mighty hunter in the Lord's sight. He built the foundation for his empire in the land of Babylonia, with the cities of Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalne. From there he extended his reign to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kalah, and Resen, the main city of the empire, located between Nineveh and Kalah. Mizraim was the ancestor of the Ludites, Anamites, Lehabites, Naphtuhites, Pathrusites, Kasluhites, and the Kephtarites, from whom the Philistines came. Canaan's oldest son was Sidon, the ancestor of the Sidonians. Canaan was also the ancestor of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvidites, Zemorites, and Hamathites. Eventually, the territory of Canaan spread from Sidon to Gerar, near Gaza, and to Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, and Zeboim, near Lasha. These were the descendants of Ham, identified according to their tribes, languages, territories, and nations. Sons were also born to Shem, the older brother of Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the descendants of Eber. The descendants of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphashad, Lud, and Aram. The descendants of Aram were Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arphashad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah was the father of Eber. 
Eber had two sons. The first was named Peleg, division. For during his lifetime, the people of the world were divided into different language groups and dispersed. His brother's name was Joktan. Joktan was the ancestor of Almodad, Sheleth, Hazar Maveth, Jera Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. The descendants of Joktan lived in the area extending from Mesha toward the eastern hills of Sephar. These were the descendants of Shem, identified according to their tribes, languages, territories, and nations. These are the families that came from Noah's sons, listed nation by nation according to their lines of descent. The earth was populated with the people of these nations after the flood. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 11. At one time, the whole world spoke a single language and used the same words. As the people migrated eastward, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began to talk about construction projects. Come, they said, let's make great piles of burnt brick and collect natural asphalt to use as mortar. Let's build a great city with a tower that reaches to the skies, a monument to our greatness. This will bring us together and keep us from scattering all over the world. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, if they can accomplish this when they have just begun to take advantage of their common language and political unity, just think of what they will do later. Nothing will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and give them different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the earth. And that ended the building of the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because it was there that the Lord confused the people by giving them many languages, thus scattering them across the earth. This is the history of Shem's family. When Shem was 100 years old, his son Arphashad was born. This happened two years after the flood. After the birth of Arphashad, Shem lived another 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arphashad was 35 years old, his son Shelah was born. After the birth of Shelah, Arphashad lived another 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah was 30 years old, his son Eber was born. After the birth of Eber, Shelah lived another 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber was 34 years old, his son Peleg was born. After the birth of Peleg, Eber lived another 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg was 30 years old, his son Reu was born. After the birth of Reu, Peleg lived another 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu was 32 years old, his son Serug was born. After the birth of Serug, Reu lived another 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Serug was 30 years old, his son Nahor was born. After the birth of Nahor, Serug lived another 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor was 29 years old, his son Terah was born. After the birth of Terah, Nahor lived another 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah was 70 years old, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the history of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran had a son named Lot. But while Haran was still young, he died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the place of his birth. He was survived by Terah, his father. Meanwhile, Abram married Sarai, and his brother Nahor married Milcah, the daughter of their brother Haran. Milcah had a sister named Iscah. Now Sarai was not able to have any children. Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, and his grandson Lot, 
his son Haran's child, and left Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But they stopped instead at the village of Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still at Haran. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 12. Then the Lord told Abram, Leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people who had joined his household at Haran, and finally arrived in Canaan. Traveling through Canaan, they came to a place near Shechem and set up camp beside the oak at Moreh. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am going to give this land to your offspring. And Abram built an altar there to commemorate the Lord's visit. After that, Abram traveled southward and set up camp in the hill country between Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar and worshipped the Lord. Then Abram traveled south by stages toward the Negev. At that time there was a severe famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to wait it out. As he was approaching the borders of Egypt, Abram said to Sarai, You are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Let's kill him, then we can have her. But if you say you are my sister, then the Egyptians will treat me well because of their interest in you, and they will spare my life. And sure enough, when they arrived in Egypt, everyone spoke of her beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to their king, the Pharaoh, and she was taken into his harem. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her, sheep, cattle, donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord sent a terrible plague upon Pharaoh's household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called for Abram and accused him sharply. What is this you have done to me, he demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why were you willing to let me marry her, saying she was your sister? Here is your wife. Take her and be gone. Pharaoh then sent them out of the country under armed escort. Abram and his wife, with all their household and belongings. End of reading, Genesis 9, 8 through 12, 20. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Even in these early chapters now of the book of Genesis, we see these principles, these basic laws that govern man's relationship with God. And among those is the fact that we see God's long-suffering, we see His patience, we see His design for humanity to come into that relationship with Him. He is drawing out a people for Himself. Now, we read this in such a few chapters, we forget sometimes that decades and centuries are passing. All of these generations that we read about, 
Life is going on. God is speaking. God is revealing himself to people through nature, through the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, through natural life, through the inherent consciousness within humanity. They are aware and they aspire to immortality. They aspire to spiritual realities. The values become important. And we see the consciousness of sin. Even the great Noah, after he comes out of the ark, the great hero of faith gets drunk. This story is included maybe to show us that even godly people can sin and that sin affects families. Although wicked people had all been killed and judged by the flood, the possibility of evil clearly now still exists in the hearts of Noah and his family. The sin principle, the sin nature is still active. Ham's mocking attitude reveals a severe lack of respect for his father and for God. So we see the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem is the father of the Hebrew nation, the Chaldeans, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Semites. Remember that we talk even today about anti-Semites. Uh, that goes back to Shem of the Bible. Ham becomes the father, the ancestor of the Canaanites, the Egyptians, the Philistines, those nation groups that were in Canaan, as we'll see later on when Joshua leads the people back to inhabit Canaan. And Japheth is the ancestor of the Greeks, the Thracians, the Scythians, those who would spread across Europe. Remember, one of the distinctives of the Bible, one of the reasons that we consider it to be credible, not only historically accurate and reliable, but also in the sense of its spirituality, of its source in God, is that it is a book that does not glorify its heroes. This book has the ring of truth to it. It doesn't sound fanciful where all of its heroes are pure all through and they never, never make a mistake right off the bat. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Right off the bat, we see God working, dealing with humanity in the very real setting of fallen man in the sin nature. Even now, it's heroes. As we look now at Noah, even after they come out of the ark and God has blessed them and preserved them, and, and they are a godly family. They do worship the true and living God. Even then, we see the great hero of the faith, Noah, getting drunk and in his son being disrespectful in some way. We don't know exactly what went on there. There was something serious, though, for sure. And then later on, we see Abraham. In chapter 12, after the Tower of Babel, we see Abraham. God chooses a man. Now, God has been dealing with the whole human race, general revelation to the whole race of what he's doing, and people are aware. Now God is choosing a man, a couple, Abraham and Sarah. They're obviously not perfect. The first thing we see him doing is lying about his wife, saying that it's his sister. Now, it's only a half lie or half truth, whichever way you want to say it, because she is his half-sister. But still, there's a little manipulation there, a little deception going on as Abram gets down into Egypt. And the Pharaoh there, the, the emperor, sees that Sarah evidently was a good-looking woman, a beautiful lady. And Abram feels compelled here to deceive him and to lie about his relationship with Sarai. God begins to deal now with an individual, and it begins a process of special revelation now that he is going to give to the human race as he deals with this man and his lineage, his descendants. Terah, Abraham's father, already had left Ur of the Chaldeans. I'm guessing his dad also was a believer, it looks like, in chapter 11. He had led them out of Ur of the Chaldeans. They headed for Canaan, but they stopped at Haran. Paran Haran, that's up in the north, the fertile crescent that goes over the desert of Arabia. From there, then, Abram goes and comes on down into Canaan and receives the promise of God that this will be the land that he will give to him and his descendants. We'll follow that story as well. Now let's come back to the Tower of Babel. The ziggurats, you've heard of those, almost like pyramids, or in Latin and South America as well. 
these tall buildings that were usually somehow religious in their construct, something like temples of some kind. But this was clearly the monument to their own greatness. There was a lot of ego in these particular buildings. They've been told repeatedly, both Adam and Eve and Noah was told, spread out. I want you to multiply, fill the earth. And they consciously, intentionally now said, no, we don't want to do that. Let's not scatter because we will lose our unity. Let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. The plain there between the Tigris River and the Euphrates Rivers offers a perfect location for a city and a tower that reaches into the sky you know, to be seen and to be known. The intent here is exactly going against what God desired. Now, why did God want people to spread out? Remember, the sin nature is at work within them. And remember what happened the first time when they didn't scatter, that sin nature takes on the mob mentality. The mob mentality is very strong. And when sin gets momentum gathered in a mob, it becomes rampant. It just rolls and it takes on a whole life of itself. It, it multiplies. It accelerates in its effect on the people. And so God wanted the people to be broken up into competing people groups, language group, different economic groups, different styles of living, and so that there would be a built-in check and a balance on the sin nature that was now active in the human race. God wanted to establish inside the human race a mitigating influence, a check and a balance on the most extreme wicked impulses and instincts. And so he wanted to break the human race into these competing groups. I'm convinced that is what we see here. As you keep your eyes and ears open as we move through the scriptures, you'll see the wisdom God had in doing that. It allowed the human race to last longer. There would be war between different people groups, but never again does the whole human race walk lockstep into judgment and condemnation and destruction. Of course, in the end times, what we see the enemy trying to do, one world government trying to overcome the effects of the Tower of Babel. myself i see our lives today who we are as people the they were just like us they were sinful they were selfish they were blind to the things of god and yet god still works among them even in the messiness of life even with uh, imperfect people god's grace is still at work in and among men and women and like i said even the heroes uh, whether it's adam and eve or whether it's noah or whether it's abraham or abram here even they, you see sin at work within them. So it's never about being good enough for God to use us or for God to redeem us. It's always about His grace, His mercy, and our being willing to receive by faith the grace and the mercy and the favor of God. Very clear biblical principle. The Bible see you next time. with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Kindle House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now, don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. 
start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word. 